Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. Four! Breakfast! So stand by! All right, everybody, welcome back for the second of two big Tuesday editions of the show today. Hope you're uh, all doing well. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back to America's fastest-growing, quickly-becoming favorite political podcast. We've got tons more to talk about. If you're listening to this episode first, we'll see you in a bit. Press pause. Go back to our first edition of the show today where we talked about Donald Trump's civil ruling in regards to his business dealings in New York City that came down on Friday in addition to... Highlights from the Munich Security Conference, which kicked off and, and was held over the weekend uh, with some commentary there. We talked to Newsweek Senior Editor-at-Large Josh Hammer and Tennessee Representative Congressman Andy Ogles in our first edition of the podcast. We're going to be sitting down with Boris Epstein from the Trump campaign to get a full update on everything that's going on in Magalan. In addition to David Pollock, who will be joining us for the first time, excellent work he does over at the D.C. Patriot, uh, collaborates a lot with... Matt Couch, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of insight there, Avengers Assemble. So action-packed show. We're going to be starting things off today in our second podcast with highlights of the Trump rally in Michigan over the weekend, following Donald Trump providing remarks over at SneakerCon in Philadelphia. It was very cold in the hangar that they held this rally in, but it was packed with a lot of those auto union workers, Teamsters, and blue-collar, hardworking American families that really do help America be great again when someone like Donald Trump is in office. You knew the 45th president was going to be hammering partisan, radical judge Arthur Ngoron and the ruling that came down against the Trump business entity on Friday. Let's jump right into it. Decision yesterday in New York, you may have read about it. Crooked judge, crooked judge. Maybe you've heard of it. Crooked judge by a radical left-wing judge was a lawless and unconstitutional atrocity that sets fire to our laws like no one has ever seen in this country before. That happens in banana republics. It doesn't happen in this country. The case is a complete and total sham. It's a sham case. There were no victims, no defaults, no damages, no complaints, no nothing. There was nothing. The actual bankers who were involved in the loan transactions that were talked about testified at the trial they said that donald trump was a highly sought after whale they called me a whale i don't know if that's good or bad i don't know if they meant a whale from the standpoint of being a little heavy or a whale because i got a lot of money (laughs) but i think they meant the second but he's a whale of a client we love him he's a whale of a client one of the strongest personal balance sheets that they've ever seen And he was actually very overqualified for the loan. I didn't even need this loan. Those banks earned more than $100 million in profits doing business with me and my companies. They were very happy, and they testified that way. The expert witness, one of the most respected anywhere in the country, anywhere in the United States, said that my financial statements were the best that he's ever seen. That's not bad. The best that he's ever seen. This was a case of satisfied banks and insurance companies, which made a lot of money dealing with me and a lot of very happy money and good money. Great financial statements, the best, really great financial statements that didn't even include the most valuable asset, the Trump brand. Ironclad disclaimer. Do you know what a disclaimer is? We have an ironclad disclaimer. That's like buyer beware. It means do your own due diligence. Don't believe what you're reading. It's all good, but don't even believe it. Go out and do your own due diligence. You have to 
you know, and when you talk about the frustration level with Donald Trump personally, and even though he tries so, he does a good job of it, not showing it on the campaign trail. I mean, you're talking about the tens of millions of dollars and so many wasted hours having to pour his energy into this stuff when we know a lot of it's going to be overturned in the appeals court, especially this New York building, uh, the, the Trump corporate entity fraud case ruling that came down on Friday. It's just a shame to watch in real time. You know, you, you have to understand that the fear level from these people and, and how strongly they are opposed to Donald Trump coming back because he knows he has taken a wrecking ball to the deep state and is going to reprioritize all of America's interests into back to serving the American people and not the corporate entities that rule this country. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big change. You see all of the elites getting fat right now and, and an overwhelming majority of the American public hurting and reeling. And it just goes to show you that, I get, again, as cliche as it sounds, these elections do have consequences. And we're going to touch on it a little bit in our next news segment. And after we talk to Boris, you know, people like Nikki Haley right now, if you don't think she's purely driven by everything that's going on with the corporate entities who are scared to lose their grip on power again, you need your head examined because that's all it is. Speaking of this partisan lawfare that's been waged against them, there is some of the criminal stuff. And, you know, Jack Smith and the two special counsels, he's opened up and been appointed to to investigate Donald Trump in regards to the happenings on January 6th. And then the classified documents material is pushing for a speedy trial. So Donald Trump could be wrongly convicted in a hyperpartisan court before the November election. Jack Smith has got some pushback from that on the Supreme Court. We might hear rulings on things or get opinions from the Supreme Court as early as Wednesday of this week. And if anything Donald Trump-related comes down from SCOTUS, we'll have full comprehensive coverage on our Friday edition of the show. But he did slam deranged Jack Smith up in Waterford Township, Michigan this weekend. Let's hear it. Prosecutor deranged Jack Smith is in a very big hurry. I mean, this guy is working so hard. He's a crooked guy, deranged Jack Smith. He's a prosecutor. <laughs> they brought him out to try and do damage. But, and he's done a lot of damage to a lot of people. And he's been overturned by the United States Supreme Court you ever hear unanimously. Mm. But he always fails because he goes too far. He's, a, he's an animal. But he's not allowed to say why. But the reason has been obvious all along. He wants Trump to be tried and convicted so that we get hurt for the November 5th date. And he's not going to hurt us because this is turning. My poll numbers today are much higher than they were three months ago because of this. Our poll, our. Our poll. It's actually our poll because we're all in this thing together. We're all in this mess together. <laughs> we're going to straighten this country out. We cannot let this injustice stand. And that's why I will fight crooked Joe Biden's weaponized persecution at every step. And we will win. We're going to win. This is going to be the biggest win ever. This is going to be bigger than 2016. Be bigger than 2016. And at this point, in the crossroads that our nation sits at right now, it's hard to disagree with them. <laughs> What's good right now in America? 
besides the stock market occasionally. But the way it goes is you got two weeks of having your retirement funds or 401ks absolutely obliterated. And then uh, it hits an all-time high for a few days and you're almost back to even. And then it starts going down again. You know, same thing for you see all of these facets of the auto industry being affected by this. Obviously, the overall commercial supply chain that keeps people alive, everything from produce to grocery and everything in between. Energy is a disaster. Importing energy to fuel America again. Over a third of the strategic petroleum reserves depleted under Joe Biden. At least three large-scale global conflicts going on right now if you include the Middle East outside of Israel and Hamas and what's going on in Ukraine. There's nothing that's going good. Don't even talk to me about border security because we have none. And you know that was one of the things that Donald Trump was going to hit on, talking about the biggest threat to our nation, which is the wide-open southern border. And it's starting to happen even more so on the northern border now. I saw a report today that for around 300 bucks. Illegal migrants who are being trafficked up through Mexico into the U.S. southern border can now fly via Mexican air to Canada and walk across an even more porous U.S. northern border. So we're getting absolutely destroyed in every single component of what this country needs to survive. And, you know, the biggest threat to our nation right now, I think, has to be the migrant crisis and how it's not being addressed anywhere, anywhere. It's and, and when these people are here and get work authorization, have kids, start paying taxes, if they're going to get legitimate jobs, what do you think is going to be negatively affected next? It's already poisoning the schools, the healthcare system. Did you guys see what they, what they did in New York this week? Food aid. Per person, per day, in the state of New York, that's people that receive SNAP. They get less than 8 bucks a day, $7.59. The average migrant via their prepaid cards in the state of New York, $12.52. Almost double the price for food. So people who come here from the third world and cross our border illegally and break our laws... They're committing crimes all over these major cities that they're getting dumped in. And now even into more of the rural areas, home robberies, attacks, rapes, DUIs. In the state of New York, they're getting almost double the compensation to be reliant on the government than U.S. citizens and people that are eligible. Isn't that fantastic? Once these people start invading the work sector, not just the cheap labor, picking strawberries, but work their way up the chain into places like the auto industry, that's when you'll start to see what's left of American infrastructure start to crumble. Donald Trump definitely hit home on this. Let's hear it. I will tell you, the biggest threat to your unions is millions of people coming across the border because you're not going to have your jobs anymore. Even that good-looking, strong guy with those beautiful muscles, he's not going to have his job because they'll have somebody else take it for one-third the price and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. You're not going to write? You not. Look, he's agreeing. Don't laugh. He's laughing. Don't laugh. I mean, you know, we got to be serious here. 
the truth is, though, when you have millions of people coming in, they're going to take your jobs. They're going to take the Teamster jobs. You know, we're waiting because the Teamsters haven't endorsed the Republican in many, many years. And they're having a hard time with this. How do they endorse a man who's a low IQ individual? I'm assuming he's talking about Joe Biden. How would they also endorse someone who's going to go out and literally, physically kill the auto industry by outsourcing factories, by putting EV mandates in on everything? Makes no sense. It makes no sense. But then these people, these elites, who continue to give themselves 400% raises every time their contract's up for negotiation, they don't care about the line workers. They don't care about where the cars are made. They don't care about this country. They care about maintaining and sustaining their generational wealth. And that's it. You know, and, and, and when you look at it, this problem is one that was caused by Joe Biden. And Donald Trump had a little bit of a new spin on the migrant crisis. Let's see if you catch it. Biden's already giving work permits to two and a half million illegal aliens. I don't know if you know that. They don't cover it. We have a new category of crime in our country. It's called migrant crime. And it's taking over America. You know, in New York, what's happening with crime is it's through the roof. And it's called migrant. I call it a new category. I just came up with that name, but I think it's appropriate. It's a new category of crime where they go and they beat up police officers. You've seen that. They go and they stab people, hurt people, shoot people. It's a whole new form. And they have gangs now that are making our games look like small potatoes. Yep. Okay. Because Joe Biden allowed this to happen. We will call it from now on Biden migrant crime. Okay. It's migrant crime. This is, Bigrant we'll call it, crime. I got it, migrant. Let's call it migrant. Biden crime. Bi oh, that's good. That's smart. Migrant crime. You know, he pulled the audience there for a little bit of a change of the name. I'm going to go back to our Friday editions of the show last week where he used Maganomics for the first time. I'm sorry. I'm just going to tell you guys, first time I ever heard it was when it came out of America's favorite co-host, Noah's Mouth. But it's the truth. You've seen so much stuff go on in places like New York recently. Gang on gang crime. Half of the gang is foreigners who have been dumped in the city there. And half of them are already established gangs who have had crime waves in New York for years. It's pretty funny how when Donald Trump used to say these third world countries are emptying out their prisons and sending all of their worst here, not the doctors, lawyers, and engineers that we were promised. Everyone called him crazy. Everyone said it was racist. Everyone said it was xenophobic. And everyone said it wasn't true. And now you can't find a migrant-related, a migrant related crime that happens in places like New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and not have these people directly connected. There was a kid last week who shot somebody in, like, Times Square. He hit a tourist while he was exchanging gunfire with police officers. They go to arrest me. He's 15 years old. And before they could find him, him and his mom, at, like, the hostel or the shelter or the church they were staying at, they packed up their shit and tried to run and hide. These are not amateur criminals that we're letting into the country. They're the absolute worst of the worst. And for anyone to go out there and profess that this migrant crisis and the nearly 15 million, including getaways, people who have illegally crossed our borders over the last three and a half years, does anything positive for our country, 
they should have their citizenship stripped and they should be deported as well once Donald Trump retakes office. That's just the way that I feel. Guys, wherever you're listening to the shows today, hope you're enjoying them. Still got a big one lined up. Boris from the Trump campaign is going to be jumping in here in just a few minutes, and then we're going to be sitting down with David Pollack of the D.C. Patriot and the David Pollack Show in just a bit as well. Make sure you're subscribed to Steak for Breakfast. Find us on Apple Podcasts. There's a little follow button with a plus sign. Hit it. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic device. Helps us out big time. Apple Top 100 being more prevalent in the show suggestions for political podcasts, etc. In addition, we have social medias on Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow them, hit the notification bell, never miss out on anything we've got going on here on the show. Donald Trump wouldn't waste an opportunity to make fun of Fannie Willis after the absolute debacle, which we covered in our Friday editions of the show last week, happened in Fulton County, Georgia, where she was essentially stripped, not naked, just of her narrative of why she was investigating Donald Trump and all of the bad shit she did behind the scenes, probably a lot of it illegal, to make that happen. He would hit her pretty hard. Let's hear it. I paid him cash. I paid him cash. I didn't, I didn't take anything. I paid him cash. Oh, where'd you get the cash? They're not allowed to answer that question. They're not allowed to ask. I paid him cash, she said. I gave him cash. Oh, I didn't take anything. No, no. Every time we went on a trip, took nine trips in one year. That's... A lot of trips. I haven't taken a trip. I don't think I've taken a trip for about 30 years, actually. <laughs> I don't take too many trips. But it's like, I think she said nine trips. Every time I took a trip with my lover, I paid, I paid him in cash. Where the hell did you get the cash, you know? What a lot of, what a lot of bullshit. <laughs> and they hurt a lot of people. She wanted to indict U.S. senators. You know, they stopped at like 40 people. But a lot of good people have been really devastated by the incompetence of that whole thing. And Georgia's been so badly hurt as a state. You know, it's been an embarrassment for Georgia. But when you watch that trial, it's so sad. I paid him in cash. I gave him cash every single trip I took. A lot of trips, though. Beautiful trips. Norwegian cruise lines. Beautiful trips. It's so nice. Love is such a beautiful... Isn't love a beautiful... <laughs> of course, like he did with uh, Strzok and Page, he, when, when he gets those lovers and, and they're completely revealed to the American people how absolutely disgusting of human beings they are, he's going to hit on it and hit on it frequently and there's nothing they can do about it. You know, and when you talk about the cover-up that's been going on in Georgia, stemming from the fall of the 2020 presidential election, how complicit people like, you know, the Governor Brian Kemp Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, the State Attorney General, and then allowing for this witch hunt, this Fannie Willis-led investigation into Donald Trump, charging him like a mobster, saying he committed RICO-type crimes in regards to trying to investigate what went down in Georgia following the 2020 presidential election. Fucking ridiculous. If he's going to hit her personally on her disgusting social behavior and how she's a homewrecker and an adulterer, in addition to probably being a tax-paying voider, and a money launderer. Let him do it. What is he going to do? Throw him in court for defamation again and make him pay Fannie Willis $80 million? Wouldn't shock me. Ain't going to happen if he wins the election in November. So they better enjoy all this fun times they're having. And I'm not talking about trips to uh, Napa Valley and Norwegian Cruise Lines either. One of the big things that Donald Trump has been hit hard on, but he's pushed back, and this goes back to all of the times that he went out to the G7, the G20, 
the COP, whatever, NATO summits, Munich security summits, etc., throughout the course of his first term in office, and talked about the hypocrisy of NATO, number one, not paying their fair share, number two, having weird shit like Germany, where we would be basically tied to defending them per Article 5 of the NATO pact as an alliance member, while they were buying their energy, natural gas, and oil from Russia, who NATO was invented on to protect the rest of Europe from. And he said, if you're doing stuff like that, in addition to not paying your fair share, he, it's not that he would encourage, but it'd be like, if Germany called and said, Russia's invading me, and he'd be like, oh, wow, that's a shame. Have you paid your fair share this year? Well, no, we haven't. Even though they're invading you right now, you're still buying their their natural gas and, and fuel from them? Well, yeah, we needed to run our country. Why? Well, we bought into the European Union's whole progressive green new bullshit, and we destroyed all of our coal plants. We stopped being innovative when it comes to nuclear energy, and uh, we can't fuel our own nation. Hmm. Sucks. But it's the truth. How can we live in such a hypocritical world where when you call it the absolutely ridiculousness of the way things are, you're pushed back on as someone, oh, this is Putin's best buddy who wants to see him conquer Europe. That's never going to happen. If Vladimir Putin really tried to conquer Europe, there would be a massive nuclear war and the planet would end. We'd get a restart. It's not like Donald Trump encouraging him or trolling the countries who act hypocritically in the way that they carry themselves should be hit on it because it's the truth. It's the way that things are. We have to fix this stuff. We have to get Germany investing in energy again. We have to get them to get it from places outside of their apparently sworn mortal enemy in Russia, who they do business dealings with while we defend them from the same country. Makes no sense when I say it. But the fact of the matter is here, Putin wants things in Ukraine. Some of their historical borders reestablished, which, as Colonel McGregor often alludes to, includes the port city of Odessa. Donald Trump sees the writing on the wall. He knows that he can bring this conflict to an end, but time is running out. And how many more times are we going to see Russia advance and Ukraine have to retreat because, number one, we're not funding this thing on a 24-7, like a, like a fast food restaurant basis anymore. And number two, because they were never going to beat Russia anyway before Vladimir Putin gets what he wants. He kind of touched on this briefly in addition to some commentary that Putin made recently when he was interviewed asking about who we would prefer as president of the United States in 2024 to win the election. I think we all know why Putin chose Joe Biden as his answer. Because with Joe Biden in office, he could essentially do whatever the fuck he wants and no one's going to hold him accountable. The only way to stop Vladimir Putin right now is to have a massive war. And I just kind of told you guys, gave you the rundown on how that ends for the planet. Donald Trump back in office, there's going to be phone calls. There's going to be bro hugs and shakes. There's going to be meetings at these summits where if Donald Trump's not happy with how foreign policy is being carried out in Europe on behalf of Russia, he's going to feel it and he's going to hear it. Let's hear Donald Trump talking about just that. You would have never had Ukraine and Russia. You would have never had Israel. Israel would have never been attacked. Ukraine would have never been attacked. Putin would have never attacked. 
In fact, Putin said the other day, no, I prefer Biden as president. I said, I don't know why. I stopped. I stopped Nord Stream 2. It was totally stopped. I stopped Nord Stream 2. Biden came and he approved it, but he stopped the Keystone. So he let Russia build their pipeline to Germany and other places. But he stopped the Keystone, 48,000 jobs. And the head, remember this for the uh, auto workers, the head of the pipeline union endorsed Sleepy Joe Biden, endorsed him. Now, he should be out of a job. And all those guys, now almost every worker voted for me because they're smart, you know. But you have the same thing in the auto workers. Most of the auto workers are going to vote for me. I'm going to bring jobs back. You're going to lose all your jobs. And again, the man makes a great point. You know, I, I think uh, less concerned about Putin because of the previously standing relationship and, and how they were able to work, I'm not going to say together, but alongside each other as two of the more alpha personalities on the planet as far as, you know, state heads go. But more comparably so down to the bare bones of it where your union bosses could go out and endorse Joe Biden. But at the end of the day... You have to vote for me because it might not come in the next four years under Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But sometime very soon, all this, all this auto workership, all this domestic car manufacturing, it's not going to exist anymore. You're going to have plants in Canada, India, Mexico, and every other third world shithole. And whatever you have here is going to be cheap fitting, done by cheap labor, and... Some of the greatest industries, Ford, Chevrolet, etc., that build the backbone of the American auto industry throughout the course of our nation's history will no longer exist in the way that they did up to this point in time. Got one more clip before we jump in with Boris and get a live update from on the ground in South Carolina where they are on the way, just got wheels down, and are on the way to the town hall event that's going to be hosted by the Botox queen, Laura Ingram, tonight. Donald Trump's always played on steak for breakfast. Rally closeout. Let's hear it. We will evict crooked Joe Biden from the White House on November 5th, 2024. Please remember that day. That's our day. The great silent majority is rising like never before. And under our leadership, the forgotten man and woman will be forgotten no longer. We are one movement. You know, we're the greatest movement in the history of our country. Make America great again. When Biden says, oh, we have to stop MAGA, MAGA, I'd like to say, do you know what MAGA stands for? He would have no idea. MAGA, I don't know. That's not a fair question. And then the anchors would protect him. You shouldn't ask him a question like that. No, no. I'd say, do you know what MAGA stands for? No, please tell me. Make America great again. That's what it says. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one glorious nation under God. And together we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you very much, Michigan. Thank you. Get out and vote. God bless you all. God bless you. Thank you, everybody.
the Trump a couple times later and wraps up the rally. You know, we're going to see a lot more work over the course of the next couple days as we cruise through the rest of this week and head towards the South Carolina primary, which is just in four days from now. Don't tell Nikki Haley that. We're going to have some comprehensive coverage of all the best of the rest headlines going on around the nation right now in our next news segment, including Nikki Haley's weird campaign update this morning. In addition, we're going to be sitting down with David Pollock a little bit later, getting ready to jump in with Boris Epstein from the Trump campaign right now. Before we do that, let's check in with one of our partners. Hi, this is Beardo over at Beard That Coffee. What's wrong with America today is that Americans are putting convenience over values. We need to start thinking about our dollar as a vote. We need to start using those dollars to support companies that believe in our values and aren't afraid to take a stand. That's us at Beardvet Coffee. We're not another pretend conservative company that puts a pew-pew on the packaging to take a line with our principles. We don't identify as America first. We live America first. We're vet-founded, vet-focused, and obviously bearded. So, if you haven't had a cup of Beardvet, buy a bag, help us continue to support veteran charities every month. And as we always say, stay awake, not woke. Use promo code STEAK for 10% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he is a senior advisor for Donald J. Trump for president in 2024. He also served in the previous administration as a special assistant, does a little columnist work at Newsweek as well. One of our great friends, Boris Epstein, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honor. Oh, no, the pleasure's all ours when you could uh, find some time in your very busy schedule to catch up with the gang over here on Steak for Breakfast. Listen, Boris, we, we had some rulings last week, uh, the most recent in, in, in the building involvement with Donald Trump and, and the Trump enterprise, the companies there. You know, that comes on the heels of the E. Jean Carroll stuff. Obviously, lawfare, obviously, ridiculously amount. I mean, even the most partisan other side of the aisle, left-wing commentators have said these dollar amounts are some of just the most ridiculous stuff we've ever seen before. You know, we know you're with the president on a daily basis. You're out there on the campaign trail and in the courtrooms half the time as well. What can you tell our listenership about how the campaign is feeling about these rulings as we are definitely heading to the appellate process? Well, President Trump uh, has been fighting this persecution, the lawfare all across the country. He's going to continue to do it. This is nothing but crooked Joe Biden directed election interference. President Trump and his legal team have been filing powerhouse emotions, papers all across the country, including in the Supreme Court. So the president will continue to fight against weaponization of law enforcement, continue to fight against the breakdown of our justice system, and will continue to win on all fronts. Are you guys at least optimist on the front of that the American public more the tent continues to widen on how their eyes are opened up to this, you know, partisan effort against Donald Trump to commit, like you alluded to, election interference? Well, as you look around the country, the support for the president has been growing. He's dominating in all the polls. And yes, the American people see that he's being attacked, he's being persecuted, and that our justice system is being abused by these corrupt Democrats, and, and they're galvanizing more and more around President Donald J. Trump. So we're definitely seeing that impact. No, we certainly are. I do want to kind of get a recap on you. You had a big weekend. One thing that our listenership probably didn't expect at the start of last week was Donald Trump to be delivering remarks at SneakerCon in Philadelphia where he launched his high-top shoes, which it sold out in minutes. And just another kind of uh, example of how diverse Donald Trump can be and how many more people who have been negatively affected by the Biden regime he wants to bring in to making America great again. Well, if you look at what the president's been doing, uh, you know, in terms of his campaign stops, what he's been doing, uh, you know, in, in terms of his outreach to the, to the American people, his authenticity, it is absolutely unparalleled. 
Uh, and that was the impact that we saw in Pennsylvania. It was the impact that we saw in Michigan. We have seen uh, in South Carolina throughout this week. President Trump is the leader that American people want back in office as soon as humanly possible because our country is in absolute disarray. It's a disaster. No border. We have no energy independence. We were energy dominant under President Trump. Now we, we are energy uh, pliant again. I mean, we are, we, you know, we are now importing energy again, which is a terrible place to be. The economy is, is in total disarray, and we are being disrespected, frankly, by our adversaries and our allies. And that is, an, uh, that is a horrible position to be in. And uh, that's why you're seeing the kind of support, the kind of outreach toward the president uh, as we are all across the country. No, it's an excellent point you, you highlight there, Boris. And then, you know, when he made it over to Michigan this weekend, you it's not very common that you'll see the execs of, like, the auto workers union or the Teamsters who, you know, at some point might flip their, their endorsement or maybe even wind up endorsing Donald Trump down the road. But to go on to, like, the national news media and say, you know, this is like a corporate decision, but at the end of the day, an overwhelming majority of our workforce is going to vote for Donald Trump because what he did, what he promised and what he followed through on for the American people the first time he was in office. There was a lot of people who were connected to some of those big unions in attendance in Michigan the other day, and it sounded like a pretty raucous crowd that was very receptive of the message that Donald Trump was bringing, especially when you're talking about preserving the American auto industry. There's no question about that. Well, President Trump saved the American auto industry. President Trump saved American manufacturing. And uh, the, you know, the rank and file of the of the unions, they know that, they realize that, and, and that's why even the, the leadership of the unions, there, there's no way that they can claim that, uh, that their rank and file, that their, you know, re, you know, their membership is going to vote for anybody but President Donald J. Trump because that membership lives the impact of the, the crooked Joe Biden administration every day the, without a border, without safety. Our, our cities are, are, are unable to be lived in. I mean, if you look at New York, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco, overrun by Biden migrant crime, overrun with homelessness, absolute disasters. So that's why you're having so much, so many of these uh, rank and file, so many of these members of the unions coming out for President Donald J. Trump. Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing to watch and to see these crowds getting bigger and bigger. I know that President Trump has kind of focused in on smaller, intimate venues to try and make himself that touchable candidate in the beginning portions of the primary season, which we still technically are in. It's quite a quite a while before we go to the ballot box in November, but he, he's become that interactive candidate that doesn't look as cringy as all the other ones did when they were out on the campaign trail, like it wasn't something they ever done. This is what Donald Trump has done his entire life, and as he continues to, I think, bond with these audiences and, and give them, you know, what it's like to interact with him to take home to talk with their friends and their family it looks like especially in a lot of these early polls and in states that we haven't even run into primaries yet donald trump is doing very good against what's left of the primary challengers and in head-to-head matchups with joe biden's especially in the major swing states he's dominating all across the country pennsylvania michigan uh georgia arizona there's no doubt about it and the, the republican party has now coalesced fully behind president trump you know, the one candidate who's still running, uh, everybody knows she doesn't have a shot. She's getting trounced in her own, uh, in her own home state of South Carolina. And that's only going to continue to get, uh, get stronger and stronger for the president, for the American people. Because, again, the American people want President Trump back in office as soon as possible. And they need him to save our country.
Let's focus in on the Palmetto State now, Boris. You brought it up, and you know Nikki Haley had quite an interesting announcement today where a lot of people were maybe hypothesizing that she might be getting ready to fold. It seems like she's going to continue on with the establishment, with the industrial complexes uh, narrative of that someone needs to remain as a challenger in this primary race. None of the polls suggest any of that matters. Uh, none of the voter turnout in regards to historic numbers when it comes to Republican matters in any of the primary states or caucuses that Donald Trump has won already. And in addition to that, when you start to look down the road a little bit, I mean, after South Carolina, and then you have Michigan, Montana, and Indiana directly after that on March 2nd before Super Tuesday, Donald Trump is going to be wrapping up the delegates that he needs to become the nominee of the Republican Party in a very short amount of times. Having someone remain in the race becomes another facet of election interference because of those accessibility to general election funds, which Nikki Haley is going to be standing in the way of until she gets out. What do you think is her end game here? I have no idea what her end game is, except maybe to really convince all of the MAGA voters, the Republican voters, that she's just a Democrat. Maybe that's what she's trying to do. Maybe she wants to go and uh, and go and run as a member of the Democrat Party going forward. But otherwise, I have no idea why she's in the race. It is not even a race. It's over. President Donald J. Trump has won. He will be, defeat crooked Joe Biden and will become the 47th president of the United States. Yeah, I can't see any other, uh, any other way around it. I do want to ask you one more question about South Carolina as we're getting ready to hit the primary here on the 24th. We've been pumping it out big time on the show, all our social medias, our weekly newsletter, et cetera. Love it. Here's the thing. Last year, Donald Trump did a rally in the summer in South Carolina in a town that doesn't even home 4,000 people. Almost 80,000 people showed up in triple-digit heat and waited hours for him to talk. He went again to the Palmetto Bowl a couple months ago, walked out on halftime with the South Carolina governor and was so warmly received by a very diverse crowd there. In addition to that, he did a rally recently there where it was packed, Coastal Carolina University. The interactiveness level of the people in South Carolina. I've been following Donald Trump since he came down the Golden Escalator. Uh, Boris, I grew up in the tri-state area. He was a mainstay, you know, as far as public figures go in my life growing up. And I have never seen such intrigue and interaction with Donald Trump than it is with the people of South Carolina. When you have the last primary challenger from that state, she was the governor. She was then appointed under Donald Trump to be the UN ambassador. But the people just continue to come out in ridiculous numbers and support Donald Trump almost louder than I've heard anywhere else on the campaign trail yet this season. There is something in South Carolina that I think Donald Trump's going to deliver a huge message on uh, in just a few days on the 24th. President Trump is poised to have a huge victory in South Carolina on Saturday. And why? Because, again, the people of South Carolina, they know they're smart, they're great voters, they know the issues, and they need a real leader back in the White House. That's somebody who's making money from Reed Hoffman, and it's just, it seems to be a Democrat in disguise, which is what uh, Nikki Haley's turned out to be. So, uh, you know, you'll see a lot more President Trump in South Carolina this week, uh, and, and he will absolutely dominate the run-up, and then the actual uh, primary on the on on the twenty fourth. And as you mentioned, she's been somebody who the American people have gotten to know, they love, they support, and they're yearning for him to come back, save our country, and frankly, the world. No, I mean you framed it up nicely. There were so many of the world leaders. I'm thinking off the top of my head: Victor Orban, the Albanian Prime Minister at the Munich Security Conference just over the weekend, who told the world, Tony Blinken to their face, other you know administrators from the, from the Biden regime. I'm sorry, you guys can come over here and talk about whatever you want in dealings with Afghanistan or Israel or Iran or whatever. 
Donald Trump did it a lot better. The world was safer and more unified under him. And Boris, I think we'll leave it at that. You guys got a busy schedule coming up here in South Carolina. We're going to continue to track everything you're doing. Thank you, my friend. We're live linking the campaign in the show description today. Anybody that wants to follow you, Boris, that already doesn't, where can they find you? Uh, I appreciate it so much. My website is BorisCP.com, hot on BorisCP.com. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Twitter at BorisCP, Twitter at BorisCP, hot on Twitter, social Boris, not hottest on the gram, Boris underscore Epstein, Boris underscore Epstein. Thank you so much. God bless you and your audience, and stay strong. As a senior advisor to President Trump, looking to make America great again, Boris Epstein, thanks for joining us on the show. Wish the rest of the campaign best wishes from Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much. God bless you. God bless your audience. Stay strong all off. Thank you, everybody, for being here today. I'm joined by General Seltzer and the border czar, Mike Banks. I want to explain to you what Texas is doing at this time. To expand our border security capabilities, we are building a new Texas Military Department base camp that allows the Texas National Guard to increase and to improve operations in this area. What you see now is the first stage of construction has already begun on what is 80 acres uh, of an area to be built out for this base camp. From your camera view, it goes all the way down the edge of here to those trees, all the way to the back, uh, close to where the river is. Uh, on this side, uh, just back behind you, about 50 feet uh, is where it stops. Uh, this will increase the ability for a larger number of Texas Military Department personnel in Eagle Pass to operate more effectively and more efficiently. Absolutely huge announcement from Texas Governor Greg Abbott yesterday after they have seen the amount of migrants reduced down to almost zero in the Shelby Park area of Eagle Pass, the disputed area now where they kicked out the Department of Homeland Security reestablish the razor wire fitted shipping containers and don't allow people to cross into the country illegally there anymore. They're now going to be expanding 80 acres as kind of a military base camp. I'm assuming for entities like the Texas national guard DPS and the marshals, etc. All those great men and women who are down there actually protecting the border in Texas right now to not only continue, but expand border enforcement in one of the, Few places we're seeing it on the planet right now. Like I already mentioned in, a, in an earlier segment on the show, we're seeing California get absolutely their asses kicked right now as a lot of these people are figuring their way over to the Golden State and crossing illegally, especially when you're talking about a lot of the migrants who have come from Africa and places like China. Lots of Chinese nationals coming across the U.S. southern border. This is an item that's affecting everyone, and I just need everybody to understand that average everyday people are starting to feel this in more ways than one, whether it's crime, what's going on at their kid's school, maybe in medical. Veterans are getting kicked out of homes. We saw last night there was a video that was going viral of New York City police officers responding to like one of these migrant camps that they make in like the oversized wedding tents. And there was a fight going on in there, and the cops are trying to break it up, and then all the migrants start beating up like the half dozen cops that are in there trying to restore order in these places where people from lawless countries have illegally come into the United States are now bringing their third-world mentality of how the justice system works here uh, directly into places that affect you. I saw there was a focus group panel 
on Fox News earlier today. I think it was on Fox and Friends. And, you know, there was a group of a half dozen African-American women, and they were talking about how the migrant crisis directly affects them. And, you know, this comes on the day I saw an article in the New York Post this morning, which I still read on a daily basis, mainly for the sports, that an Amazon driver in New York City fended off an attack from a drunk, naked, New York City illegal migrant. And the Amazon driver wound up in jail for beating the shit out of him. Makes absolutely no sense. This person tried to get into the vehicle, assaulted the driver, the driver fought back, beat the crap out of them. Cops respond, put the Amazon driver in handcuffs and take him to jail. The migrant, in all of his nudeness, was just released back into the ether. So this focus group was directly addressing New York Mayor Eric Adams, who's been complicit in all this, even though he's gone to the border and told Joe Biden to shut it down and this, that, and the other thing. They're still allowing it to happen. Not allowing it to happen is what Greg Abbott's doing in Texas right now. And let me just remind you, we don't like everything Greg Abbott does. And up until this point, he's been very reactionary on everything. It seems like when you get to a point, right when you're about to piss off Donald Trump, Greg Abbott acts just to please the masses. But on this issue right here, starting with Shelby Park and the expansion of the forward operating center for the military that he's developing down there, this is pretty big. And this focus group was was pointing their commentary at New York Mayor Eric Adams and uh, how they see the situation going down. Let's hear it. This is, uh, this is a pigeonhole. This is a sign to this mayor. Right now, your people are looking at you. You have an obligation to your own black community to Oof. make sure we have our needs met. Every other demographic takes care of their communities. Mm-hmm. Chinese, Italian, Jewish. When it comes to... Co- communities of color, specifically black, it seems as though they get paralyzed. Like, you have to speak to the narrative. We put you in position to help us. This will definitely affect any elections going forward. Real quickly, Tiffany, what about Joe Biden? Because he supports the same stuff as well. Do you think there's a price for him as well? Of course. Or just the mayor? No, both. Both. It's time for action. It's time we voted for you. I voted for Biden. Mm -hmm. I voted for Mayor Adams. It's time for action. They see it, their communities, the cost of living, their kids' schools. How many of these inner city schools have we seen in D.C., in Chicago, Boston, New York, Los Angeles? I saw one in, in like, Massachusetts last week. Supposed to be, like, opening day meet and greet for some Little League association. All the parents and the kids go, boom. Sorry, facilities are closed. You don't have baseball fields anymore. You have tent cities where migrants who were illegally shipped here are now living. Have a nice life. Little League season canceled. Oh, we're going to put migrants in the gym? Cool. They're not called snow days. They're called distance learning days. You take a tablet and you learn at home watching YouTube. That should get you ready for the SATs and all of your graduation requirements. Correct? It worked during COVID. Why wouldn't it work now? Everybody liked COVID. Didn't they? The African-American community in places like New York right now are, are letting their voices be heard. Places like Chicago. All the other cities I just mentioned, they're not happy. They're they're seeing things. They're seeing the pandering to this new group of potential voters instead of the actual voters that Democrats have here and them being pandered to by the radical progressive left like we've never seen before. Listen, the blueprint is Europe. And if you want to see places like in England, Italy, Greece, Germany that 
historically have been around since the biblical days, days of the Roman Empire, the Braveheart days, and just aren't there anymore because their shithole communities overran by migrants. We need to keep doing what we're doing. If not, the plausible alternative is Donald Trump winning the election in November. Which is when we get to see, as you heard from Rep. Ogles in our first show today, when we're probably going to get some actual cuts to this ridiculous post-COVID spending and Nancy Pelosi-driven budgets. I saw one of our great friends, hoping to have him back in the next few weeks, Russ Vaught, who was the OMB for the Trump administration, which meant when budgets or CRs or omnibuses were approved in the House and through the Senate before they went to Joe Biden, he would look them over, score them, and rate them. And he was talking about this out-of-control spending that's absolutely destroying our country right now and how there seems to be no end in sight on this side of the ballot box before the November 5th election. Let's hear us. It, it is it is a huge sickness. The the spending that this Washington Uniparty is doing right now on an annual basis is not something that you can solve just by growth. Growth is obviously a part of the answer. It's a part of a balanced budget. It's a huge part. But you have to tackle spending. And not only are they not tackling it, they are dramatically worsening it. They're going to pass in March another $1.7 trillion spending bill. Yep. We have interest costs going from $350 billion when we left office to they're now $870 billion per year and headed towards $1.6 trillion. That's just interest. That used to be what we would spend on the, on the deficit. The deficit, we're going to have another $20 trillion added over the next 10 years, and that's using some static assumptions that doesn't even include the cost of extending the, the, the tax cuts we've been talking about. Yeah. So our fiscal picture is worsening, and this, and this administration just making it worse. Well, it's not that they're just making it worse. Russ, and we do love your commentary, especially when you come and provide it on the show for our listenership. This administration just doesn't care. You bring out one of the absolute baddies like Janet Yellen and throw her in front of committee, and she'll just say, like, well, I don't see what you're saying. I don't see recession. I don't see inflation as high as it was during the pandemic. Um, that means things are getting better. So all I have to say is things are getting better. Yeah, but when you talk about, you know, discretionary, oh, no, it's fine. Well, what about 10 years from now? I probably won't even be alive. So who cares? Reminder for everybody that's listening today. When Janet Yellen decides to step down or Joe Biden is voted out of office in November, she will be receiving her eighth full federal pension for all the administrations that she served in previously. So it doesn't matter how bad things get here. For elites like her, it doesn't matter. She doesn't care. She's just going to continue to carry water for the administration, as is the case with most of these people who will most likely never work in government again. Guys, wherever you're listening to the show today, last call. Hope you subscribe to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Hit the follow button on Apple Podcasts or follow along whatever podcasting platform you listen to. We're also on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Make sure you subscribe to the show. Helps us out big time. Remember, Steak for Breakfast will always be 100% free. And you pay us back with your listenership, your followship, the show's download, and therefore your voice gets extended into a larger demographic of the America First fight here. Social media-wise, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram is where you'll find us. Follow us. Hit the notification bell. Never miss out on anything that's going on on the show, including our top-tier usual rung of America First guests, namely David Pollock, who's going to be joining us in just a bit. Got a couple more clips here. So the regime rolled out Colorado Senator Michael Bennett over the weekend. 
talking about carrying water for the administration. And, man, when you talk about some of the things that he was saying, Joe Biden's uh, foreign policy and, and domestic economy are two of the big things he's going to be looking to push hard on while out on the campaign trail. Just absolute lunacy. But, you know, when, when he was challenged on a couple different things, like a ran re-rise to power over the course of the last three and a half years, which we all know is true. Iran was sanctioned almost into oblivion, could not do anything in regards to their nuclear aspirations, couldn't fund all of their terror all over the world in the ways they had under the previous administration when Barack Obama was president for eight years. And you were seeing a lot of civil unrest internally in that country. Under Joe Biden, all the sanctions have been lifted, pallets of cash have returned, and now Iran is making just off of energy over $70 billion a year in revenue. All of the terrorist organizations are being funded again. Hamas carried out the worst terrorist attack on a sovereign nation probably since Hitler invaded all of Europe. And the Biden administration is going to pretend that none of that stuff happened and everything is absolutely fantastic. Let's hear the Colorado Senator. The question I would ask if I were, and I will ask when I'm voting in November, is which of these presidents is more likely to bring more chaos, which is more likely to be able to work with allies around the world uh, to bring bring uh, a more enduring, if not peace, um, uh, uh, a path forward uh, in oh. the Middle East. That's oh. eluded um, oh. all oh. of us for the last me, 70 Tim years, Burst. and we need to do better than we've done. People in Palestine deserve to live uh, uh, a decent life. People in Israel deserve to live a decent life, and I hope America can be a stalwart ally as we move into a world with that two-state solution. I'll tell you this also, because I was there throughout this entire time. Iran became more dangerous during Donald Trump's presidency. They came closer to a nuclear weapon during Donald Trump's presidency than they ever did during Barack Obama's presidency. And that is a huge cost to President Trump's approach to these matters in the Middle East. I'm not sure that everybody who's listening yeah, well, the Fox this morning will agree with me, but it is true. I'm, I'm Absolutely embarrassing to hear this guy go out there and make that pitch to people who saw what Hamas did to Israel on October 7th, who have seen how embolstered and brazen the Houthis have been to not only the international shipping chain and all the boats they try to take over or, or attack on a regular basis, but the amount of times that they've attacked the U.S. military and our allies in the region of those straits around Africa and, and coming out of Europe that we have to protect to make sure everybody gets what they need to survive. These people just, it's an alternate universe that they live in and, and they don't care about you or us or what happens. I mean, they know more than anybody that Joe Biden is the ultimate figurehead, the absolute God-tier empty suit and whether it's going to be him that makes it to the ballot box in November or whoever else they try to run out there, probably Kamala Harris, they're going to do exactly the same thing in the next four years. Only faster this time because they'll have a mandate than they did when they came in in 2020. Segwaying a little bit. Don't worry, I didn't forget about Nikki Haley. We'll get to her in just a second. Oh. Changes over at the RNC that hopefully are going to be coming after the South Carolina primary a little bit later this week. As Ronald McDaniel is expected to leave, we'll see Michael Watley go in there and take over. Laura Trump, one of the 
first daughter-in-laws take over as the co-chair, and then Chris Lasavita, senior campaign member for the Trump team, take over as the COO. I saw that Laura Trump caught up with Maria Bartiromo yesterday morning and was talking about what exactly would change as far as voter registration goes, dealings with the money, etc. If you and, and Watley and La Civita got in there and actually were able to kick in the door and hijack the apparatus, much like Chris La Civita alluded to when he was on the show back in November. Let's hear her. Because people are concerned about election integrity. Tell me specifics in addition to that ballot harvesting, things that you think are needed and that you will do to ensure, to ensure a free and fair election come November. Well, first of all, I think we need to raise a lot of money. We know the Democrats uh, ha have a mountain of it right now, and we need to do the same. So I think you need to reestablish that people can feel good about donating to the RNC, which right now, you know, some people aren't really sure how is their money being spent. What I can assure you is if I am there, I will make sure that every single penny donated to the RNC goes to electing Donald Trump. Great and hear. again, extending our lead in the House and taking back the Senate. I think, you know, look, we, we need poll watchers in places all across this country. If you want to volunteer right now, you can go to DonaldJTrump.com and sign up to be a volunteer. Uh, the, the truth is we really need to have people in place, legal people in place yep. on Election Day so that if there are any challenges, anything questionable at all, we are ready to strike at a moment's notice. And, and we really have to hit this thing head on. We have a lot of work to do. There's a little time to go between now and November 5th. And uh, look, we're going to hit the ground running as soon as, uh, and if I am, elected as co-chair of the RNC. Which he certainly should be. There's no reason why Watley, Laura Trump, and Chris Lasavita can do a better job of what's going on over there now, which essentially is nothing. You know, we, we, we've given Rana the benefit of the doubt for long enough, not just here on the show. I mean, listen, all these people go and talk shit about her on their podcast or their news shows, but they'll take anything she's got given them, number one. Number two, they'll all rub elbows at her at places like CPAC. And number three, they know at the end of the day, money starts and ends with her. So what are you going to do? It's either kiss the ring or, you know, not be allowed access to anything. And, and while we haven't kissed the ring, we did give her a platform here on the show. She's been on with us a couple times to talk about all the stuff that's going on there, some of the changes, etc. I mean, up until two weeks ago, Donald Trump was publicly satisfied with the job she had done, and that's all of the responses that I've gotten from the Trump campaign in the past. Publicly, he's okay with what's going on right now, but we're probably looking to change some things up. I didn't know it was going to be this drastic and eight months before an election, but no time's better than now to make sure that we've got what we need as far as weaponry goes, um, legally and money-wise, voter registration-wise, poll-watcher-wise, than we would right now. All right, I did save one clip from the absolute cringe-fest Nikki Haley state of the presidential race speaking event that she did this morning. Oh! It was bad. Crocodile tears talking about her deployed husband when she slept and had affairs with multiple men. Staying that there isn't a state that she could win, but hey, we're not making kings here. Well, we're not making kings here. We're electing the most viable candidate to beat Joe Biden in November. So if you're openly admitting that you don't see yourself having a pathway to win any state, you're essentially eliminating yourself as the most viable candidate. But... In a harnessment of Leonardo DiCaprio, 
Nikki Haley reassured the American public, as I could hear millions and millions of eyes rolling across the country this morning, that she's not going anywhere. Let's hear it. Fact, you fight harder than ever. That's why I refuse to quit. South Carolina will vote on Saturday. But on Sunday, I'll still be running for president. I'm not going anywhere. I'm campaigning every day until the last person votes. Because I believe in a better America and a brighter future for our kids. Nothing good in life comes easy. I'm willing to take the cuts, the bruises. In fact, honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. Yes, she is. Listen, you're going to take a lot more than that. You've given Donald Trump almost a half day's notice where he's going to have a national platform with the entirety of the boomer viewership that's going to turn into the Botox queen, Laura Ingram show tonight, and watch his town hall in South Carolina. And I hope he hits you bigger and stronger than he ever has before. Because at the end of the day, she is just another component of election interference. She has morphed into Hillary Clinton 2.0. All of the same talking points, the negative things that she says about Donald Trump that just aren't true. She even talked about, you know, he's a future dementia patient. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? I fl- Listen, when Noah's here on Friday... I'll have him tell you how many times he has to edit me throughout the course of the show to make this thing sound as good as it does. That's an homage to you there, Noah. But the fact of the matter is everybody flubs names, dates, times. Especially Donald Trump, sometimes he goes for like over two hours straight. 60, 70% of that off prompter? You're telling me he's a future dementia patient? This lady is just absolutely garbage. And uh, this is what the establishment looks like when the curtain's pulled back. We'll keep tracking this. Obviously, if there's any good responses from Donald Trump tonight at the Laura Ingram Town Hall on Fox, we'll bring it to you on our Friday edition of the show. We're getting ready to jump in with David Pollack for the first time. But before we do that, one last check-in with one of our partners. It's an unpleasant truth that 42% of Americans are obese and 79% of Americans are overweight. That's practically one in every two Americans living day-to-day with every minute counting down to the end of an unhealthy existence. It's time to change that and make Americans healthy again. You've probably heard about weight loss injections that can help you get back into that right mindset and help curb those cravings so you can focus on what's really important. New Hope Wellness has changed thousands of lives and maybe it can change yours too. They are American family owned and operated with the goal of saving lives. With convenient telehealth options, you can speak to a licensed professional from the comfort of your own home and all products are delivered discreetly to your front door. Visit newhopewellness.com forward slash state and start your journey to a better you. That's newhopewellness.com forward slash state to get your free consultation and 100 bucks off your first order. 1-800-527-2150. Make America healthy again. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Tuesday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's the host of the David Pollock Show. Kind of spoiled it, but he also is doing some amazing work over at the D.C. Patriot and Veterans for Trump in Florida. Mr. David Pollock, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Big fan of the podcast, the fastest growing podcast in politics and uh, always chatting with you on spaces. And so I'm really excited to be on your show today. 
We are very excited to have you as well, doing some work over here on Steak for Breakfast, much like you are. Listen, you've gone through some big announcements this week, especially those coming from the D.C. Patriot. Why don't you tell our listenership everything that's going on with you right now? Oh, man. Yeah. So yesterday we had a big relaunch of the D.C. Patriot. It was also the fifth anniversary of the D.C. Patriot. It was founded by Matt Couch, um, who is a veteran of uh, investigative journalism. He's done a great job investigating the Seth Rich murder, the uh, Las Vegas shooting, Fast and Furious operations. And now um, we've partnered up. Uh, at the D.C. Patriot to bring new content, more articles, uh, more investigations. And so I'm thrilled to have joined uh, Matt Couch along with uh, a couple other guys. And uh, we've totally relaunched a website, changed everything up a little bit. We were producing some new shows. And uh, so in addition to the David Pollack show on Mondays, we now have D.C. After Dark, um, which now we're trying to shoot for about three to four days a week, uh, Monday through Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern and so we're having a lot of fun with that. We have a special co-host, which is, uh, I don't know if I should ruin it for everybody, but his name's Puppet Carlson. And it's still a surprise for people when they show up. But we actually, yes, we have a puppet. And not like Nikki Haley, but an actual puppet. So we're just, you know, trying to have some fun and bring some laughter to politics because, man, it, it's very serious out there. No, you want to know what? Matt's a great friend and esteemed guest of the show. Connected with him for just about ever to see you guys relaunching the DC Patriot and the amount of value that the investigative journalism and commentary that goes on there and how important it is to the America First movement. Really exciting for me to see you guys having so much success right now and looking forward to uh, following you guys for a very long time in the future. Now, we talked about waste of time, but before we get into any of the major topics, one that kind of broke today across the newswire was Nikki Haley had yeah. an announcement regarding the state of the race in the presidential primary David, you want to take us in on this headline and tell uh, our listenership who's just catching up right now might not have heard it, might have been at work, exactly what uh, she had to say. Yeah, well, uh, the thing is, nobody wanted to hear what she had to say, and she's been kind of quiet except for that tweet that went out from her campaign about her going through 12 guys or something and having one <laughs> to go or something. That was about all you heard from Nikki Haley recently. The polls are showing Donald Trump's winning by over 30 points um, in South Carolina and, like, I think somewhere now 50 points nationally. And so what does Nikki Haley do? Ah, I'm just going to do a, uh, you know, a, a, a publicity stunt, schedule a press conference for noon uh, on a Tuesday. And then she shows up and says, yeah, thank you all for gathering. Uh, I'm not dropping out of the race and then proceeds to bash Donald Trump. Uh, and sounds a lot like Joe Biden in the process, talking about his age, talking about future dementia. So ridiculous. Uh, and you know what? I watched about five or six minutes. And then after that, I said, you know, what? you're not getting my attention anymore. So if that's what you guys missed today, uh, don't worry. You didn't miss anything. We did the hard work for you and had to listen to her uh, for as long. I think you probably stomached it longer than I could. I was just like, I'm not going to watch this anymore. Yeah, you want to know what? Well, I just don't get it. I mean, she's so tied to the establishment, the military industrial complex, all the stuff that she's going on with her. I, she's just another version of Hillary Clinton to where yeah. she promotes this alternate reality where she's likable, where she has a path to victory in some instances. And, and the way she kind of lays it out there, it seems like she uses a lot of the same rhetoric. Everything but why aren't I beating this guy by 50 points came out of her mouth today. <laughs> Listen. She's going to have a little bit of a wake-up call this weekend with the South Carolina primary, and then once we get to Super Tuesday, we could finally put her in the rearview mirror where I think a lot of America First wants to see her. Well, yeah, I mean, she's obviously sticking around for these open primaries. She's hoping Democrats vote for her. She's seen the numbers just like everybody else. She knows she's not going to win with Republican support. So she's hoping that Democrats keep her relevant and in this race. But at the end of the day, you're exactly right. She'll stick around to Super Tuesday where I think 10 of the 12 races are open primaries. So 
I don't know if maybe she's just trying to save face after a disastrous primary, thinking that she would have collected more of the vote after the other people dropped out. I don't know what her end game is. Uh, she's done with MAGA, certainly. Uh, I don't see her having much of a political future. If you can't win your home state in a presidential race and you've already been governor, what's next? You're certainly not running for Senate. So I, I don't know. Maybe this is just her uh, swan song. And we'll see. But I know I am very happy to see her go at some point, and along with Ronna McDaniel, who supposedly is going to step down after the South Carolina primary. I don't know if that was a rumor. I don't know if it's true. Um, they're not raising money. And so they're not going to be able to be effective. So that probably is the best move for the RNC. But yeah, she does sound like Hillary Clinton. The only thing she hasn't blamed is Russia. Not yet, but I'm, su- I'm assuming she will. But yeah, it's a mess. I don't know what her point is. No, and neither do I. I mean, it's not even like it's driving ratings on TV anymore. It seems like she can't get on anywhere in the establishment media without them saying like, but haven't you looked at the polls? But is this really about <laughs> winning the presidency? And we all know it's not. She even made a joke in between her statement this morning talking about future presidential bids. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, she doesn't know what it means because she's never going to be, unless she switches herself over to Democrat maybe, which she's already pretty much campaigning as since those are the only people... <laughs> in mass that are going out and voting for, but it kind of is what it is. And, and we'll just have to see. I mean, it's, she's given Donald Trump more than 12 hours to prepare before he jumps on with Laura Ingram tonight on Fox news for a town hall. And I would have probably made this announcement if I was Nikki Haley, like once that already started, just so he couldn't hit her hard to a national audience. But I guess you pick your poison and, and she really doesn't care at this point. It's all about the paycheck. Well, yeah, I mean, look, like you said, it was a it was an announcement about nothing. It was like the Seinfeld of press conferences. And you're right. Trump will hit her or maybe he won't. Maybe that was the point. Maybe it was the point where she wanted Trump to talk about her because it's one of those situations where, you know, if you're running, if you're a strong Republican, maybe you're an incumbent and you're running against a challenger that is a nobody. You don't debate them. You know, you don't go and get into the streets with them because you don't want to give them the media attention. By and large, everybody's ignoring Nikki Haley at this point because of the polls. People just think she's irrelevant. And what's the point? So I think going out today and doing that press conference, I think she's hoping that Trump will talk about her. Remember how angry she was that Trump wouldn't debate her? You know, debate me if you're so tough. And Trump's like, why do I need to? I'm beating you by 50 points everywhere. There's no reason to debate. Great point. I think. I think she was I think she was goading Trump to say something about her. I think if I was Donald Trump, I would completely ignore her fake press conference today and just go and talk about what he's going to do to save America, because that's where he's strongest. Go on an attack about Joe Biden, who's having mental meltdowns every time he goes on camera, trying to assume that that NATO or Ukraine is somehow in NATO and we should give billions of dollars to Ukraine while ignoring our southern border. If Donald Trump sticks to those talking points, the economy, uh, international security and um I think that's where he'll perform best. I don't think he even needs to pay attention to Nikki Haley, to be honest with you. No, it's a great point that you make, Dave. And, you know, I do want to segue talking about national security. We did have the Munich Security Conference that happened over the course of the end of last week and through the weekend. Yeah. All of the, you know, elites from the Biden regime, everyone like recently impeached Alejandro Mayorkas, soon to be stepping down climate star John Kerry, former <laughs> presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, and probably the worst secretary of state in the history of the galaxy, Tony Blinken. We're all there mingling with everyone from Zelensky to You name it, but here's the deal. There was a lot of headlines in between the headlines that didn't get reported that much, and I'm talking about, uh, you know, you you had Viktor Orban talking about Donald Trump being the only answer for peace in the world, which I thought was huge, and then you had the Albanian prime minister who praised Donald Trump talking about how he was able to finally get NATO in line and act like an alliance, much like it's not now where we're constantly relying on America for, number one, money, and number two, the munitions and artillery and defense to take care of Europe, and it seems like we've devolved back into that under Joe Biden in just three short years. 
But it's something that raises a lot of questions, especially to the point to where Donald Trump uses it on the campaign trail now. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And and the thing is, it was funny because we, you know, we texted about this beforehand and we're like, hey, let's talk about this. And I'm like, you know, I haven't heard much about it. And and that's and that's the point. Right. So when uh, when when Joe Biden's out there uh, talking about how I don't even know where this narrative came from, by the way, it just appeared out of nowhere where he starts talking about Trump wanting to be def- uh, encouraging. And Trump is the reason because he, we, I, it came out of nowhere. But that being said, of course, the narrative is being contradicted by our by NATO allies who are saying, hey, Trump was better for NATO. He made people pay their fair share. And NATO was stronger under Donald Trump. And then you even heard Putin in uh, in in Tucker's interview. Do you remember the treasonous interview that now everybody wants to interview Tucker now after Tucker interviewed him. Right. But even in there, he's like, I have no interest in going into Poland. I have no interest in going into NATO countries, which he's never made any advances on NATO. And I'm not defending. Putin. I'm just saying this idea that we have to send all this money to Ukraine to defend NATO. It's just literally being invented out of nowhere. And I think that's what they're trying to suggest is because Putin's such a threat to our NATO allies, we have to give money to Ukraine to fight them there. It makes no sense. And what you saw in that in that summit was basically world leaders not only praising Donald Trump, but contradicting not only the narrative that the media is spinning about NATO, but then what what Joe Biden is saying himself. If you think about it, sitting right next to our secretary of state, almost saying Donald Trump was a better president than your boss. We liked working with the United States better when the United States was under Donald Trump's leadership. And I mean, that's how little the world respects not only Joe Biden, but his entire cabinet, whether it's whether it's at our border or whether it's internationally. Nobody respects his cabinet. Nobody respects Biden. And when our when our allies don't respect our 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 president, what do you think our enemies are doing? And a perfect example of everything that's going on right now. Oh, it's an excellent point. You know, you, you look at all the United States was actually number two in fiscal year 2023 for monies that go into NATO. Poland, believe it or not, by just a fraction of a percentage point was number one. First time we've seen anything like that in a long time. But, you know, the fact of the matter is here is that these countries are starting to feel it. The the wear and tear of the Russian incursion into Ukraine. And it seems like now the only way to end this conflict is with a ceasefire. But it's the only thing that you know, our side of the table right now doesn't want to do. We saw Tony Blinken and Boris Johnson over the course of the last two years kill possible ceasefires and and peace negotiations. We've seen Vladimir Zelensky as, you know, recently as this weekend at the at the Munich conference talking about don't ask me when the war will be over. It'll be over when Ukraine is back to its historical borders that technically don't even exist if you listen to Putin's version of Russian history. And it's just madness right now. The only thing that's really being affected right here is the amount of Ukrainians who are getting killed, uh, the the amount of Russians who are being targeted with long-range U.S. weaponry. And when you look at all the things that are going into the equation of the current situation in Ukraine right now, it doesn't seem like there's anything beneficial for the United States to come out of this anytime soon. It was never there was never anything beneficial to the United States to come out of this. And and you're right, Zelensky, which I still understand if you're coming to extort money from the U.S. government, shouldn't you at least put on like a button down? He's like he, he he's he's like always in sweats as if he's just left the battlefield. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world, but whatever. Uh, this was never in the United States best interest. This is always in Ukraine's interest and the people who seek to profit off of the influence in Ukraine. And of course, I'm not going to go down these roads, but there's other interests in Ukraine that I think they're trying to uh, support. Uh, So with that being said, Zelensky will 
sit down at the table with Putin once the checks stop coming from the United States. Really, the best thing we can do if you want, quote unquote, peace between Ukraine and Russia is stop sending money to Ukraine because you're right. Zelensky is taking all this money from the United States at the detriment of his own people. Because it doesn't matter as long as his pockets are lined and his country is getting rich off the United States taxpayers dollars. Why stop the fight? What is the end goal? Do they really think they're going to beat Russia? I mean, is that even the play? You're going to defeat Russia? No, of course not. So all, all this is, is really how long can I stick it out? It's like Captain America. He's like keeps getting punched by, by Bucky Barnes. And he's like, you've had enough yet. You know, I forget what he says. And as a result, he's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I should have I should have thought that quote through. <laughs> but the point is, you know, he'll just sit there and take it. And his people will take it until he's done getting money from us. And I think the best thing we can do if we want to help the Ukrainian people, if you, if those people with flags around their profile pictures on social media really care about Ukraine, stop sending money to Ukraine. And that's the truth right there, because when you look at the long game, something our government hasn't been able to do a good job of, I mean, any time in the modern era right now, probably since the end of World War II. What's going to happen in Ukraine is the same thing that's happened in Afghanistan, because we, we already see it being telegraphed. We leave Afghanistan. We've invested so much blood and treasure into that place, we get nothing. Once this Ukraine conflict is over, just like in Afghanistan, the Chinese are going to come in and rebuild the country at half the price the United States is going to do it. And for all the weaponry and, and money and aid and supplies that we've given Ukraine, we're going to get nothing from them. We're not right. going to get cheaper wheat. We're not going to get any of their liquid natural gas. We're not going to be able to harness Odessa if Russia doesn't take it, as a lot of people have hypothesizes the end game for Putin. It's just we're going to get left with a very big bill, depleted munitions and artillery here and aging military equipment in the United States. And in a year where we're seeing, again, for the second year in a row, an even worse number of military recruitment goals not met, our national defense and strategic readiness is just not where it needs to be. Yeah, and all of those things are correct. And the thing is, going back to the original um, the, the thing about NATO, if you want to protect NATO, you need Donald Trump president because NATO is not weaker because Donald Trump is not funding them or, or saying they should be funded or Putin should invade. NATO is weaker because our adversaries our non NATO adversaries, countries like China, which, by the way, when I say adversaries, let's be 100 percent honest. This is one thing Tucker really did well. We, we talk about, you know, you hear from the United States government and politicians about Russia being our enemy and mortal enemies and China being our mortal enemies. And but the reality is we do more trade with China, I think, probably than any other country. Uh, we buy almost all of our stuff from China. We do business with Russia. We share a space station with them. Our astronauts are playing together. I mean, this idea that these are our mortal enemies, but yet outside of money laundering. It seems like we get along everywhere else. So I don't buy these narratives that, you know, they're building these. Remember the space weapon, the space nuke? Like, <laughs> oh, there's a security risk. Russia's building space nukes. And this, I'm not buying the fear anymore. I'm not worried about China marching on our shores. I'm not worried about Russia nuking us from space. Sure, their defense capability should make all of us want to invest more in our own military. But our real threat is domestic. And by that, I mean our politicians making us broke, the crime in our cities, our open southern border by countries who are actually our enemies. Countries like Iran is the largest state sponsor of terror who are sending terrorists through our southern border into our cities to come into our communities and attack us when they say so. That's the risk. And you want to talk about risk to our NATO allies. If the United States is broken under attack, who's going to come to their defense as us being the second highest contributor to NATO? Damn so the biggest is. threat to NATO right now is Joe Biden's leadership. And that's something we have to fix. No, that's I couldn't 
put it any better myself, David. You know, that's why I think we click so well. When, when you just look at, I couldn't believe that Michael Bennett, the senator from Colorado, had the balls to go on the Sunday morning news circuit this weekend and say that Iran is in such worse a position right now than it was under Donald Trump when he had made NATO so strong, supplied defense mechanisms to so many of our strategic allies in the Middle East over the course of the Trump presidency. Instead of going to war, we were selling military equipment, which is the way you continue to fund the machine and keep them quiet when you don't want to start new wars like Joe Biden has. And sanctioned them to the point to where there was pretty damn near close an internal revolution there before Joe Biden took office, where Iran was seriously at the negotiating table, honestly talking about abandoning their nuclear ambitions. They're closer to a bomb now than they have ever been in, in their quest to attain one. And it's all because of Joe Biden's failed foreign policies. I think it's a really interesting angle that, you know, a lot of the mainstream media are trying to skirt how strong Donald Trump really made NATO. And how weak our adversaries were, everyone from Xi and, and the mullahs in Iran to Putin in, in Eastern Europe and everyone in between. You didn't see a lot of the terrorist organizations popping off because Donald Trump would shower their camps with leaflets of not of knowing where they are, knowing where their wives and children are and knowing that if they continued their activities, they would wipe them off the face of the earth before they came after them. So it, it's just a different way of looking at foreign policy. It's called peace to strength. Obviously, we've both heard of it before. But it's something that we're hoping to get back to next year. And I think that's where we're going to leave it. Listen, we got a lot of stuff to link in the show description today. We're going to get it all. We want your social medias, where we could find you, everything for the DC Patriot. Tell us about your Twitter spaces and, and let our listenership come follow you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at The Pollock Show, P-O-L-L-A-C-K, at The Pollock Show. If you go and search David Pollock, that's the football player, different guy. But uh, so it's at The Pollock Show on Twitter. I mean, go to the DCPatriot.com. You can watch all of our past shows, um, including David Pollock Show and DC After Dark. So check us out there. Um, and of course, yeah, we do Twitter spaces. We were doing them every Monday night. Um, now we're just going to kind of sprinkle them in when we're doing breaking news because we're increasing the um, DC Patriot. You can find me on Twitter spaces as a host. I'm all over the place and I look forward to connecting with you guys on social media. One other thing I want to encourage you to check out Vets for Trump. Um, I'm the director uh, the, in the state of Florida uh, for that organization. And we're trying to build an army of 300 best veterans here in Florida so that we can help reelect Donald Trump. So if you're interested in getting involved, reach out to me with that as well. And man, I really appreciate uh, being on your show today. And I look forward to, to chatting with you again real soon. Listen, you made a reference to the Avengers before. I mean, I think me and you connecting today, in addition to all the work we both do with Matt Couch, there was once an idea. And I think we're moving closer toward it. This is the host of the David Pollock Show. Mr. David Pollock, thanks for joining us today. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate being here. This is a lot of fun. Not too bad way to start the week. Wish I didn't have to do it solo, but I think we, uh, mission accomplished. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now nearly 340 other editions of the show, I've said it several times throughout the course of both shows today. Just be sure to follow us on every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio. Hit that button. Make sure it's downloading to your electronic devices. In addition, find us on social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Follow the accounts. Hit the notification bell. I want to thank all of our great guests for coming down and sharing today. Tennessee Representative Andy Ogles. Editor-in-Chief at Newsweek, Josh Hammer. Host of the David Pollock Show, David Pollock. And Boris Epstein from the Trump campaign. You guys all helped make steak great again. Guys, we're in the midst of a busy week. And on the horizon of the South Carolina primary but do not worry we will be back with two all new episodes of the show this Friday featured 
You're never going to believe this one, but he's back. Eric Greitens, North Carolina congressional candidate Sandy Smith, Trump attorney Jesse Benal, and Florida congressman Corey Mills. So on behalf of the pod team and myself, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week and take care. I'm not fucking leaving! The show goes on!